We started a new series last week called Overcome. And the whole heart of this series is the likelihood that everybody in the room is probably wrestling with something. There's something that you're overcoming that we need to overcome that's overcoming you currently. And so Pastor Josh kicked off the series, and our theme verse for the series is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. It says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The world uses certain weapons. We don't use those weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we almost called this series Strongholds. We thought Overcome was a little more (laughs) encouraging and uplifting, but... Strongholds, if you look, the the original New Testament was written in Greek, and if you look at the Greek word for the word strongholds, it's the word ukurama. And the word ukurama translated means a prisoner locked by a deception. Let me say that again. So strongholds is a prisoner locked by a deception. Sometime last year, um, JC and I saw a television special about Elizabeth Smart. Anybody follow her story about 15, 16 years ago? Well, I didn't. I was in college at the time, and I didn't really follow it then, but they did a 15-year anniversary kind of recap of her story on 2020 or Dateline or one of these news outlets, and I was glued to my TV. This 14-year-old girl lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, and was abducted from her home in the middle of the night by Knife Point. A guy by the name of David Mitchell thought he was some kind of prophet, thought he was God, and took her to be his wife. They lived in a tent for nine months. And he literally raped her every single day. It's a horrific story. Here's the fascinating part. After the first few weeks, he convinced her that she could not be free. Listen to me. He got so confident that that she was so convinced that she could not be free that he started bringing her out in public. And there was one instance where he brought her to a public library, put a veil over her face so she could not be recognized. And they're sitting in a public library, and a police officer comes up to David Mitchell in that moment with the picture of her. Have you seen this girl? And she knows that the police officer is talking about her. She's literally feet away from freedom. If she just says, it's me. It's over. The nightmare's over. But she was so convinced that if she said anything, that he was not only going to kill her and kill the police officer, but he was going to kill everybody in the library, even though he wasn't even carrying a weapon at the time. She was so convinced. She was literally feet away from freedom. And yet she stayed bound. And when I saw that, I thought about how that mirrors us in the church. I've sat in counseling sessions with you. I've gone to lunch with you. And I've heard you say, literally, you're you're a few steps away from deliverance. You're a few steps away from freedom. But you've been lied to for so long that now you're a prisoner locked by this deception. Ukuruma. That's a problem. The verse continues, we demolish arguments and every pretension. That's where we get the the word pretending. There's a lot of pretending that's going on in your head that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, this thing, this deception, this lie sets itself up for God's sets itself up against God's truth. Not just God's truth about everything, but God's truth about you. God has a truth about you that some of you don't even believe about yourself. But he has a truth about you that you might not have experienced yet. And we obtain that truth. Here's the action point. By taking captive our thoughts and making them obedient to Christ. Not what Satan says, what Christ says. As Pastor Josh 
did such a good job last week. He talked about we need to expose the devil's lies and then replace those lies with truth. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to expose some lies that you believed and replace them with truth. I don't know if any of you know um, how elephants are trained. It's kind of fascinating to me. If you're a zookeeper or an animal trainer and you train an elephant, you actually begin by putting a big chain around their ankle. And they can't move, right? I mean, they wobble back and forth. They can't break free because it's such a massive chain. But if you go to maybe like a circus or something like that and you see an elephant, many times you see a very, very thin rope around their ankle. Because they've been trained with that big chain and so they think that they can't break free. But with half their effort, they could snap that rope and be free. But they've been locked, they're a prisoner locked by a deception. They think that there's a big chain when really it's just a small rope at this point. But they've had that chain on there for so long and they've tried to remove themselves for so long, they can't break free. So they don't know they can break free from the rope. That's us. We can break free. You do have the power to overcome, but a lot of you don't know that. You think you have this big chain, and really it's a pretty thin rope. We can overcome. This morning we're going to deal with a topic that's rough stuff. It's the topic of addiction. Now by show of hands, how many of you would say um, that you know someone whose life has been completely wrecked because of addiction? You know somebody whose life's been wrecked. Okay, every hand. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one because I don't know that you'd be honest. But how many of you would say, Reed, I'm addicted? I think all of us, honestly, are addicted to some degree. A lot of times we think of addiction and we think of cocaine, we think of gambling, we think of pornography, we think of alcohol, but that's not necessarily all that there is to addictions. An addiction is anything I do that I don't want to do, but I can't stop doing. Anything I, I, I do, I don't want to do it, but I can't stop doing it. Let me say it this way. It's something that I do, but if it were out of my life, I would be a better person. It's something I do, but if I didn't do that thing, or if I didn't do it as often as I currently do it, my life would be better. And it could be an addiction to anything, anger, food, spending, sports, television, Netflix, a person, pornography, tobacco, work, this bad boy in your, in your pocket. I don't have my phone on me, right? I've had people that have asked me, can I take my, my phone into the baptism tank? I'm like, I guess. I'm like, hey, hashtag dumped, right? Selfie, like, no, like, what are you doing? That's a problem. Anything you do, you wish you didn't do, but you really can't stop doing, that's an addiction. It's a stronghold, ukurama. And listen, every time we deal with strongholds, we have to expose the lie and replace it with truth. So today, I want to give you some addiction lies. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write these down. If you're not a note taker, I want you to write these down. I think these will be helpful for you. They're addiction lies. And then as we talk about them, I actually want you to put yourself in the question and ask, where am I believing this lie in my life? Where is this lie applicable to me? Lie number one is the addiction has become your identity. So what I do is who I am. And Pastor Josh did touch on this last week well. I, listen, I'm a proponent of 12-step programs. A lot of places, uh, those kind of places are, are having success. And I'm not um, degrading that at all. I'm not challenging their approach. But one of the things they ask you to do in these 12-step programs, they ask you to internalize it. So even though I may have been sober for 30 years, I will say, I am an alcoholic. I've been sober 30 years, but I am an alcoholic. And I understand practically why that might help somebody, but spiritually, in the sight of God, you are not what you have done. You are as God sees you as. 
You're not what you've done. So you're not an alcoholic. You're all, you are as God sees you. And it gets better than that. God doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as who you could become. He sees your highest potential. That's what God sees in you. Well, I'm just mean. You know, my daddy's mean and my granddaddy's mean. We all got red hair. I guess we're just mean people. No, no. That's not, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Maybe what you've done, but that's not who you are. You don't have to listen to that lie. Listen, you don't have to identify yourself with that thing. Here's the second lie I want to confront this morning, and that is when I try to quit but fail, I feel increasingly hopeless. Some of you have been down that road. You're wrestling with something that nobody even knows about, not even your spouse, and you say, if I'm honest, Pastor Reed, I've even heard you preach about some things, and I've applied some of those things in my life, and it's just not working, and so I just I feel like that I'm hopeless, like there, there's no hope for me. Don't buy that lie. That's a lie. The enemy is a father of lies. He's a great deceiver. When the devil says there's no hope for you, you won't overcome. Yeah, with man, it might be impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Listen, as, as long as God is still on his throne and he still raises people from the dead, he can help you overcome anything that's in your life. That's the God that we serve. And so you don't feel hopeless. Feel hopeful. There's still hope for you. Here's the third line. And that is, any threat to my addiction is really threatening me. Any threat to my addiction is really threatening me. Here's what I mean by that. It's, it's if somebody that loves you comes up to you and says, hey, Bill, I, I think you might have a problem with this. I'm a little bit concerned you're doing this too much. And you go, I don't have a problem with that. right? And you get defensive in that moment. That, that any threat to you and your addiction is actually threatening you. Listen, if the people that love you, let me get a little closer. If the people that love you are telling you you have a problem, maybe they love you. And they're trying to speak the truth in love as Ephesians 4 calls them to do. And they're saying, hey, you might have an issue. Maybe they're not out to get you when your pastor and your church and your family and your friends are going, bub, slow down, bub, slow down. Maybe they're not, maybe they really do love you. And it'll open up some blind spots where you go, I wasn't even aware that that was there. So just be aware that that, that can happen. My wife does this really well with me, and I appreciate that so much about her. She makes me aware of my blind spots. And she said, Reed, I think there's a little bit of pride here. And my first reaction is, nuh-uh, right? Because <laughs> pride's hard to see in the mirror. But she goes, no, 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 look, look. And she's been a, a, a great resource. And so when she says something to me, I go, well, maybe there's at least a hint of truth in what she's saying. And it just has opened my eyes to some of my faults and shortcomings. Here's another lie. And that is the addiction causes me to lose my life. The addiction causes me to lose my life. So you're thinking, I'm losing my life. I've gone too far. I'm at the point of no return. It's irreconcilable. No, it's always reconcilable. It is always reconcilable. In fact, I believe God can do more in the latter part of your life than he did in the former part of your life. That's just the God that we serve. If you're sucking air this morning, you have not gone too far. We serve a God who's able to turn everything, 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 not just bad things, not good, good things, not some things, not most things, all things around for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Here's the last one. I can ease the pain by getting my next fix. That's a good lie. The enemy shares that one often. Just one more time. I think the enemy's greatest word is, is tomorrow. Quit tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes next week, becomes next month, becomes next year, becomes a decade of cyclical sin. Now, one more time, fix, 
fix the pain. Some of you have felt comfort in whatever that stronghold is. You felt comfort, and you're not easing your pain. You're only masking your pain. And then you add shame on top of shame on top of shame, and you just feel really, really guilty, and it leads you to a very dark place. So what do we do? Again, I love the honesty of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. This is from the message. I just love how it's written. He said, I've tried everything. (laughs) Nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who could do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And that's some of you are asking that, going, I'm at the end of my rope. I've got nothing. Like, is there any hope for me? Is there anything that anybody can do for me? Isn't that the question this morning? And because he's preaching, he actually answers for himself. He says, well, thank God. Thank God that Jesus Christ can and does. Yeah, there is hope for you, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can and does help you do things you cannot do on your own. Jesus acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And you can relate to that. I can relate to that. I'm reminded of John 15, 5. Uh, I'm the vine, Jesus said, and you're the branches. If a, if a man or a person remains in me and I in him, they'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. If you're connected to him, you're going to have more power to overcome. But if you try to do this on your own, if you try to get rid of this thing on your own, you're going to fail time and time again. I know that because that's my story. That's your story. I know that. Like You you have to have Jesus. There's life in the vine. There's freedom in the vine. There's overcoming in the vine. There are habits that I beg God, please help me overcome this. And it wasn't until I really gave that to him that I became that brand new person that I desired to be. Romans 8, 1, as the, the verses continue, this is NIV. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Hey, everybody, there's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. That's good news, amen? That's good news, amen? There's no condemnation, meaning you don't have any condemnation for anything you did yesterday, anything you did today, anything you do tomorrow. There's no condemnation. Come on, until we can put our arms around each other and say, let's pursue freedom together. I had a lady, this was earlier this summer, she called the church, and uh, she asked to speak to the pastor, and I saw, I answered the phone, I did not know her, and she told me her first name, I still don't know her, and she starts telling me all these things she's struggling with. And so my natural response as a pastor said, well, you need to plug into a life-giving church. She goes, oh, I'm already very active in a church. Okay? I said, I'm in Snyder? And she goes, Yes. I said, well, (laughs) I think it would be beneficial for you to call your pastor and talk to your pastor about some of these issues so they can help you find freedom. She goes, oh, no, 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 I could never tell my pastor about these things. I can't let them know what I'm going through. Right? We've got to get to a place where we're comfortable saying, hey, listen, there's no condemnation. Like when, if you come to my office, and some of you have, you hear me share my mess too. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all blow it. And until we can get to a place where we say, hey, there's no condemnation. You come, and you come, and you come, and you come. And this whole church is open to anybody and everybody. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't judge you. He don't judge you. Like, let's just love Jesus together and get freedom together. And we've got to get to a place where we're, where we're getting that. Where we can get free of all that and take the masks off. Which you hear me say often. In fact, let me say it this strong, until we normalize the fact that we're all humans and all of us have fallen and get real with our fallenness, fallenness, only the world will have answers for us. And the world doesn't have any good answers for fallenness, I'm just telling you. So we've got to get real about those things. You've got to get to a place where there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
which means God will never say, you're just a mess and I can never help you. God will never say that about you. Now, the Holy Spirit might convict you and say, you're a mess, yes, but here's the way out. Let me show you the way. You can find freedom over here. That's what God says. Romans 8, 2, as the verse concludes, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what this whole series is about. I want you to be set free. I want you to be set free. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever is overcoming you, I want you to overcome. I want you to be set free. And we do that through Jesus Christ. So that's what we want more than anything else. So I'm going to tell you two things you might not know about addictions. And I've studied this historically. I've studied this biblically. And every time, in every single case, anyone that's been held captive by an addiction or a stronghold, every single time, it's always rooted in one word that I'm about to show you. And the word might offend some of you, and that's not my intention. I'm not trying to offend anybody. It might surprise some of you, but almost every single time, in fact, I cannot think of a time where I saw a stronghold or addiction, and and it wasn't rooted in this word. It's the word idolatry. In other words, it's not just the thing. It's not just the alcohol, the, the drugs, the, the, the um, sex addiction. It's not just that. It's not just the thing on the physical level, but it's in our hearts. It's rooted itself in our hearts. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything we allow to sit on the throne of our hearts other than God. It's anything that you put on the heart of your, your, your throne of your heart. Like that's, It's not God. It's something else. That's idolatry. And every time you have this inordinate relationship with something, it has the power to control you. It's a love. It's not just an addiction for you. It's a passion. It's gotten to a place in our hearts that whatever we worship, whatever we fall in love with, we begin to imitate. Whatever we begin to imitate, we become obsessed with. Whatever we become obsessed with, we actually become. And that's scriptural too. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory... So we're checking out the Lord's glory, and we're being transformed into his image. We're becoming like him with ever-increasing glory. So we're looking at glory. With glory, we're becoming more like him. And in the same way, whatever's on the throne of your heart, you're becoming obsessed with. And whatever you become obsessed with, you begin to imitate. Whatever you imitate, you eventually become. It could be something that's not even necessarily bad, but you get addicted to it. We are always a slave to whatever is on the throne of our hearts. I'm telling you that because the solution to the problem is the same thing. We're always a slave to whatever's on the throne of our hearts. If you really want to take care of your addiction, you'll have no success on your own. Again, apart from Christ, John 15, 5, you can't do anything. Apart from the vine, you can do nothing. You must first settle who's king of your heart. You've got to settle who is king of my heart. And you'll find yourself so frustrated until you dethrone the God of addiction and put the true and living God at the throne of your heart. It's a spiritual issue. No, pastor, I just like to take pills. No, no, no. It's a spiritual, it's a heart issue. It gets to a place where you have no power to overcome that thing. I, I, like, I've had people who are addicted in my office, and I, I know it's a spiritual issue. I know that there's something, that, and they just got to put Jesus on the throne. Like, that's the number one thing. We got to get that idolatrous thing off their hearts and put Jesus where he rightfully belongs. And I want to show you three ways you can do that in closing today, to put Jesus back where he belongs. Here's the first thing. I want you to put God first in every area of your life. Put God first in every area. you got to put God first. 
And this is important because this is the definition of salvation. Salvation is not raising your hand at the end of service when I ask you to. Salvation is not praying a prayer. Salvation is not filling out a card. Salvation is not getting baptized. Salvation happens in the moment that you reorder the gods, the things that you love in your life, and you put God at the top of that list. That's salvation. When you say, God, you're number one. You're number one from now on. Right? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's got to be Lord. He's got to be number one. He's got to be the master. He's got to be in control. He's got to be in the driver's seat. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's when salvation happens, when you make him Lord. You're on the throne of my heart. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked in kind of a tricky way, what's the greatest of all the commandments? 613 commandments, which is the greatest, Lord? And he goes, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I'm not opposed to you loving other things. I just don't want you to love those things more than you love Jesus. Love God more than anything, the number one thing in your life. Listen to this. This is uh, 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. You say, Pastor Reed, how do you, okay, let's make that a little more practical. How do I make that happen? How do I do that? How do I make him number one? And I would just say, give to God the first of everything. Just give him the first of everything. If you'll do that, I promise you the God of addictions will bow. The strongholds will bow. If you'll say, God, I'm going to put you first in everything. So here's what that looks like practically for me. You've heard me, heard me share this. I think it's a really good way to get started in this. I am not a morning person, um, unless it's like 2 in the morning. I'm up then. I just, I'm not a morning person. But when I get up in the morning, I try to spend time right here. And when I started this exercise, what I started doing is I said, I'm going to spend 15 minutes. There's 1,440 minutes in a day. 1% of that, 1% of that is 14.4 minutes. Let's round up to 15 minutes. So 15 minutes. Is God worth 1% of your day? Yes, absolutely. So I would spend five minutes in the Word. I would spend five minutes in prayer. And I'd spend five minutes worshiping. So I would set an alarm on my phone. I would set an alarm. You can do this with like iPhones. I'm sure most phones you can do this. And I would set an alarm to be a worship song at 10 minutes. So I'd spend five minutes in the Word, I'd spend five minutes uh, praying, and then my alarm would go off and it would be a worship song, and I would just sing that worship song as my offering to the Lord that morning. Five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, I'm telling you, it'll change your day. And I don't know why, but there's something about God saying, hey, I see that you're giving me your best, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you a double portion of the self-control, which is part of the fruit of my spirit. He just takes care of you. When you make him the first of everything, you say, God, I'm going to give you my first. And again, I'm not asking you to read through the whole Bible in a year. I'm just asking you to give them, read one verse every day. Just something, God, I'm going to give you, before I open up my phone, before I open up my email, before I do anything, I'm going to open up your word. You open my eyelids, I'll open your word. That's, what, this is, that's how we're going to do this thing. And I, it, it just works. Here's the second one. We have to learn to say no to the flesh. We've got to learn to say no to the flesh. Everybody say that word with me. Ready? No. One, two, three. Oh, that was pretty good. That's pretty good. My first series when I came here, before I did anything, before I even talked about our vision, the very first series I did was a series called What Matters Most. And the whole heart of that series was you've got to learn to say no to some stuff. We are too, you hear me talk about that a lot because it's important. And I preach to myself most of the time. My wife says, you said no to anything lately? Yes, I do. I told my brother-in-law no recently. And then I told him yes. Uh, 
we got to say no to some stuff. And it's okay to say no to the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, everything's permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. All right? So even things that are good for you, like I'm not saying some of these things in your life are bad. It's permissible, but it's not necessarily beneficial. And it's okay every once in a while to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to push pause on that. Right? That's why we did 14 days of prayer fasting in, in, in August and in April because it was a chance for us for 14 days to say no, no, no. Now, again, in moderation, some of those things are probably just fine, but it's a chance for us to say, you don't know me. And this is not going to become an issue, an addiction for me. I'm going to say no to you. Fasting is just a way that you know you're not mastered by anything. And even good things, every once in a while it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to put that down. I'm not going to do that today. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself, any part of yourself, any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. And the verse concludes, For sin shall no longer be your master. How do you do that? Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they kill it. They kill it. They crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So you don't just work on your issues. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to do this a little bit less. No, you kill it. You kill it. You crucify it. I'm trying to do that a little bit. I don't want to do it as much. Just kill it. Um, for me, like some of the, some of the, so I'll just give you, I'll give you an example of something that's not necessarily bad or evil, but it's something that I knew I was getting addicted to, is I, I love football. I do. I love football. And um, I used to watch it on Thursday night, and then on Friday night, and then on Saturday all day, and then Sunday all day, and then Monday night, and <laughs> you, you're laughing, but that, that was me. I just, I enjoyed the game a lot. And I just started realizing, man, I'm losing time with family, I'm losing time with my faith, and I, I need to cut back. And so it's pretty rare that I watch football um, on Fridays or especially Saturdays anymore. And really, Sundays, I'm here most of the day. I'm here from 2.30 till like 10 tonight. <laughs> so uh, I don't watch it as much, but I just finally had to say, you know what, I can't, I, can't, I can't do it as because it was becoming a God. It was becoming an addiction in my life. And I said, I have to start saying no. You got to kill that, whatever that is. Say, no, I'm not. I'm going to take that off the throne and put God back on the throne of my heart. This week, I encourage you, to look at yourself, take something that your body or your soul craves. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe you're not doing social media this week. Maybe you're not going to watch that show or do that thing. Just say no to your flesh. Just learn to say no. I'm not no. Even if it's not bad, no. You're not going to be master of me. Again, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I must find, I'm, I'm finding mastery over this. Here's a great line. You can write this down. What I starve will die. It'll die. If you'll just stop feeding it, it will die. I'm telling you, it's a biblical principle of crucifying the flesh. Here's the last one, and we're done. How do I break the power of addiction in my life, Pastor Reed? Well, I put God first. That's where he belongs. He's on the throne of my heart. I got to start saying no to some stuff. Here's the last one, and you can't underestimate the importance of this one you got to go all in with Jesus. And that just sounds something that a pastor would say. I'm just telling you, you got to go all in with Jesus. And, and some of you, 
you're, you're just, you're not going to get the best of God halfway. You say, well, what if Christianity stuff didn't work for me? It didn't work for you because he didn't go all in. I'm just telling you that. I had a conversation with a gentleman recently. I don't know if he's here today. I haven't seen him, but good friend of mine. Uh, I love him. Um, but we were at Dairy Queen, and he was having some faith issues, wrestling with some faith things. And he said, you know, I'm seeking God, and I'm, you know, I'm not finding God. And the Bible says if I seek him, I'll find him. And I'm just, I'm having a tough time making that connection. I said, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. I said, the Bible says if you seek God, you will find God. If you seek God with all your heart. I said, have you ever sought God with everything that you have? And he looked at me, and he goes, No. That's the problem. It's not that you're not seeking God. You're not seeking him with everything that you are. I want you to go all in with Jesus. Not halfway, not hokey pokey, one foot in, one foot out and shake it all about. I want you to go all in with Jesus. Like go all in. I like get involved for a whole year. Like t- t- for a whole year. Just say I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to come to that next steps thing that you do on Sunday morning. I'm going to join a dream team. I'm going to start serving out in the parking lot or serving in the kids ministry. I'm going to I'm going to come to serve. I'm going to come to Sunday morning service. Come to Sunday night service. If they're janitors vacuuming the carpet on Thursday, I'll be here. I'm going to watch them do it. I'm going to be here all the time. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do that 15 minutes, five five. I'm going to go all in, and I promise you, you will not miss Jesus. If you go all in with Jesus, you'll experience the thing that, that makes it so much fun. And you'll never want to go back to all that stuff that you were missing. You, you won't. You go, wow, this is abundant life. This is a better life. This is exactly what Jesus promised it would be. I just got to get there. I got to go all in with Jesus. And I would encourage you to do that. Romans 12, 2. Last verse I'll share with you. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Did you catch that? You'll be changed. The thing that you can't change will change if you fully commit to God. So what's the key? you got to readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. And unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. What I starve dies, but the opposite is true too. Whatever I feed thrives. So I'm going to feed my spirit, man. I'm going to focus my attention on God. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to go all in with Jesus. I'm going to start saying no to the flesh, and I'm going to overcome in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. All over the room, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? God, let this be the month, let this be the year. We're not saying it won't be a struggle. We are saying we're going to give it more effort than we ever have in the past. And we're going to give it to you, which is ultimately what we have to do. We have to truly lay it at your feet. Colonial Hill, I encourage you to receive this if you want it. It's yours. God wants to give you back what the devil stole. You're not what you do. You are as God sees you. Lord, I pray that as we make you Lord of our life, as we learn the art and the discipline of crucifying our flesh and saying no to it regularly. And God, as we go all in with you, that my friends in this room will indeed overcome. And now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would love to take a few moments to pray for those who may need to put their faith in Jesus for the very first time. We do this at the end of every service because I can't imagine a better way to close a service and give you an opportunity to say yes for the very first time to Jesus Christ. It's the best. And again, I would encourage you just to go all in today. Everything you've got, 
for one year. And I promise you, if after one year you're not completely convinced, it's a, it's a hassle-free guarantee. The devil will take you right back, I promise. <laughs> but if you go all in today, your life will never be the same. You'll, you'll, you'll know, you'll experience what so many have experienced to say that he is good and is worth it. And my life is better because of him being in my life. He gave his life for you. And he's asking in response that you give your life to him. So I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand just so I know. Nobody's looking around. Just so I know who I'm praying for. If you say, Reed, I want you to include me in your prayer. I want you to slip your hand up at this time. Include me in your prayer. I want to know Jesus today. I see your hand awesome. I see your hand awesome. Anybody else? Uh, You can slip your hand down. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for my sins, that you were buried but rose again, and you beat death, hell, and the grave, and you give me the power and the authority to do the same by putting my faith in you. I'm taking everything that was on the throne of my heart off today and putting you where you rightfully belong as Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just give it up for all those who made a decision today to put their faith in Jesus? Come on, that never gets old.